This is The Guardian. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Newcastle get to their first major final since 1999. One of their own scores twice. Just a beautiful story, whichever way you look at it, apart from that bit that barely anyone talks about anymore. We'll try to balance out the understandable joy for the Geordies with the wider implications of it all. There are some FA Cup games that no one's noticed and then it's on to the transfer window. Chelsea break the British record for Enzo Fernandez, a man I'd wager Barry couldn't pick out of a lineup two months ago or perhaps even today. Will their huge recent investment pay off? Is Jorginho another canny Arteta signing? Cancelo's off to Bayern and Spurs wingbacks arrive, go on loan or get terminated. Also today, Sean Dyche's hats, a little more Subaru, your questions and that's the Today's Guardian Football Weekly. Jonathan says a football weekly lineup for the discerning gentleman. Barry Glendening, welcome. If I've done you a disservice in the intro, I apologise. I would be able to pick uh, Enzo Fernandez out of a lineup today. I probably wouldn't have been able to. No, I definitely wouldn't have been able to two months ago. There are quite a few signings made by Premier League clubs who I definitely wouldn't be able to pick out of, of lineups. So hopefully they haven't committed any wrongdoing. I hope none of them have <laughs> stolen your car. <laughs> Robin Cowan, hello. Hi, Max. I have a question, actually. Do you, could you pick him out of a lineup, Barry, if, say, he was wearing like a, I don't know, like an, an uh, let's go for, like, if he was dressed like as waiter or something, would you be able to pick him out? Would you say, oh, that's Enzo Fernandez? I would, yes. I mean, I've met quite a few footballers in talk, at Talksport Towers where, um, because they're not wearing, uh, yeah, say Darren Ambrose, because he doesn't walk in wearing Crystal Palace kit, I, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> Until someone goes, that's Darren Ambrose. <laughs> uh, James says, seeing Lars in the starting lineup is my single favourite thing. I get the same warm, fuzzy feeling I get when watching Tom Kearney elegantly dominate the midfield for Fulham. Pure class. Welcome, Lars Sivertson. That's That's very kind of that man. Thank you very much. Hello. Good morning. Mm, you did oversleep I did you are forgiven thank you um, anyway let's get on with uh, the football that happened before the transfers I hope that's the right order for, for listeners I know some people love the transfer window but Newcastle beating Southampton 2-1 I mean the atmosphere at St James's Park Barry and the fans was it was pretty incredible there wasn't it yeah and it has been sort of relentlessly since they started getting good under Eddie Howe they have this these elaborate banners and TFOs and whatnot. And the fans are obviously very excited because their team is doing exceptionally well. 
And I'm very pleased for them because they've now emulated the Sunderland team of 2014 by getting to Wembley, getting to Wembley for a League Cup final where they will almost certainly face opposition from Manchester. Sean Longstaff arriving late, Robin Lampard style. I mean, the second goal was a wonderful move as well. I sort of wonder, is he in England contention now? I mean, he seems to be playing incredibly well. I mean, obviously, I don't think he's. I don't think he's any good at football. But clearly, it's clearly I'm wrong. Clearly, I'm completely <laughs> wrong. Like, he's playing so well. Do we need yeah. to get him on the plane? Get him Does on the plane. Does he need to get on the plane? Well, you know, he he potentially could be playing for a top four team. So you know, why not? Was it that I can't remember how many? Was it a squad of I don't know five hundred <laughs> the preliminary squad? So he'd certainly make that. Uh, no, and both goals taken really beautifully. The first one was good but then yeah Ali McCoist who is, is also a, a joy to listen to but also particularly astute and he did point out that Armstrong basically didn't didn't even notice didn't even look at him uh, so that was quite a, a bad piece of defending there but I mean Newcastle were just so good um, especially in the first half they were just way way better than Southampton they made things look easy you know playing fantastic front foot football and just overpowered Southampton, who I know came back in the second half, but they kind of had to take the initiative because they were down. And um, yeah, I mean, they, it was pretty much over the two legs a cruise for them. I mean, it was it was similar to the the first leg um, for Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. So do you know what? I'm not. I don't think it would be uh, assuming it is going to be Manchester United. That that's going to be a difficult one to call, actually. Yeah, I think so. I, I just wondered, you know, on that subject of long stuff and a few other players last if we need to reconsider how good they are, like Joe Willock, Fabian Scheer, Dan Byrne, all these players that we kind of gone, oh, you're a steady Premier League, six, seven out of 10 type player. And that's what I've pigeonholed you there. But but it's worth remembering that football is a team sport, yeah? So if the team improves through good coaching and through adding some components that work really well, sometimes we see individual players do much better than before. Like this is a very much a tale as old as time. And uh, I, I'm sure there are... Wait, I don't. Maybe we could reconsider them if we want, but we could also consider that we can look around the Premier League and see there are quite a few players who we might consider bang average, who in the right collective context would do much better. Hmm. Uh, Alex says Newcastle had four players tonight that grew up supporting them: Longstaff, Byrne, Anderson, and Murphy. What effect does that have on the team? Longstaff mentioned he was emotionally drained after his second goal. Maybe not all positive. It does, you know, it does add to the romance of it, Barry, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I suppose it does. Some of those players are are guys who have been revitalised by Eddie Howe. You know, the, the Newcastle team we see now is a mixture of big spending and players who were there but weren't performing particularly well under Steve Bruce, who've been completely uh, reinvigorated under the new regime. I'm not sure if it makes a huge amount of difference whether they support the club or not. I suppose it gives some sort of connection with the fans, but they were... Whoever is playing and whoever they support, they're going to be trying to get to the the final. Yes, no, it's a, it's a very good point. So perhaps it doesn't matter at all. I mean, that is their job after all, you know, and they're sort of elite sportsmen. But it does, it feels, it feels kind of pleasant when you hear some Geordies saying, oh, you know, I was in the Gallagher end when I was a wee lad, etc., etc." I mean, you mentioned Adam Armstrong there, Robin. He, he didn't track Sean Longstaff and then he missed that huge... Ch- I sort of quite like him as a player and sort of scuttles about a bit, doesn't he? But but 
that was a huge chance as well. And I sort of think he had to go round Nick Pope, probably. Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, Nick Pope is, is quite an imposing figure and he's had a fantastic season. It was it was a good save. It just that transfer just hasn't seemed to have worked out. I really would like it to. Uh, he was banging them in for Blackburn and then you think, oh, this is a, you know, a good move up to a, a Premier League team who need goals. But... Yeah, I think it's, he's maybe scored, is it two or three in the Premier League in sort of a couple of seasons? And yeah, it's it, it, it's a tricky one. Um, but I mean, it was, it was, Shea Adams' goal was good, wasn't it, Barry? Mm. <laughs> I need to say Barry's <laughs> <laughs> uh, And I, I would add to what Barry said, I think you're absolutely right that um, he's definitely, anyhow, it's certainly um, improved, unquestionably improved the players that were there, but just a few, couple of additions, I think in particular, Gimaraish, who just looked, he knits everything together. He was involved in both goals um, and then, yeah, looked very upset when he was sent off, obviously. He probably thought he was getting banned from the final, didn't he? I mean, I think everybody thought that and it doesn't. He gets a three-match ban now, um, but but will be available. Lars, you had your hand raised. Yeah, no, we've... Um... We've given Eddie Howe and the homegrown lads sort of due credit, but I mean, you mentioned the sort of lack of uh, finishing finesse for Southampton. I mean, their striker partnership of Armstrong and Adams together cost about, I think they cost 15 million each. Whereas, you know, when Alexander Isak comes on, they've got Isak and Joelinton two together, put who cost over 100 million. So, like, there is a bit of a difference in investment here as well. Uh, and 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 that is part of the, that is part of the recipe. I mean, we we can't like ignore that. I think completely. Do you Lars? Do you, do you agree, Robin? I I think you know, presuming it is United, Manchester United. This isn't a given that Manchester United win this trophy. This is a really. I don't even know why I'm saying it like that. You know, Newcastle are above them in the table, aren't they? No, absolutely. New, Newcastle are well. They're on the. They have the same number of points in the table. Newcastle and Newcastle are above them on on goal difference. I think. Uh, well, especially with Ericsson getting injured. Now they have brought in an emergency midfielder who's very good, but we don't really know how he'll fit into the team. I think Ericsson has has been a really big part of that team this season. I think he's worked much better in that sort of deep uh, midfield role than most people, myself included, would have expected, and has really been part of why they've looked like so much of a proper team. Uh, Casemiro has gotten a lot of the credit, and he deserves that, but Ericsson's been very good as well. So you take him out of the team, that that weakens them for sure, and uh, it's very open, I think. Alan says, should Newcastle win the Carabao Cup? Uh, will it be put on display on Mohammed bin Salman's yacht, like Da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi painting? <laughs> Go well next to each other. <laughs> Restricting access to the third most important domestic cup to the world's super elite. Um, Barry, how, how do we feel about Newcastle getting to a final? Uh, well, it was inevitable, and they will presumably get to many more finals, more prestigious finals, and win more prestigious trophies in the coming years because they've got more money than God. Obviously, Newcastle fans have no control over who owns their club, but they do have the opportunity to, to disapprove of who owns their club, and I suppose many of them do. Many of them also go out of their way to try and defend or excuse their owner's actions, uh, many of those actions which are just disgusting. And I that's the kind of thing I don't understand. But you have to, again, divide or make the distinction between Newcastle Twitter and real-life Newcastle fans. But quite a few Newcastle fans I know in inverted commas real life do go out of their way to try and excuse their, their owner's actions, whether it's through whataboutery or, or whatever. And uh, that that's the bit I find unpalatable. You know, it is an exercise in sports washing. 
I've heard people try to to say it's no different to what's going on at Wrexham. It quite clearly is, and and to make a comparison like that is ludicrous. But uh, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about them being a fine. But it, it was completely inevitable. As a Sunderland fan, I obviously don't want them to be in finals. But uh, I, yeah, I think yeah, I think what's interesting, Robin, is is actually it's it seems like people said something, and then it's you know when you listen to. The you know the commentary last night be on the TV or the radio and I and I don't know if that is the right place to talk about these things and you know whenever you bring it up people say now's not the time let's celebrate the football now and you sort of think well now is the time and it should come around again for the final and I know that we're kind of repeating ourselves and I sort of feel that we should repeat ourselves even if it doesn't achieve everything because like Barry has said before everyone has kind of made their decision now on where they stand on this and also I think you made a good point last time we talked about this Barry is that Newcastle fans probably are right to think that Man City fans get a, a not a pass, but get much less stick. But, I, you know, if you were asked to commentate on the Carabao Cup final, how do you get that in? Like, how would you, would someone tell you you weren't allowed to do it? Or where do you get it in? Like, you're sitting next to Alan Shearer, you can't just go 20 minutes in in a lull in play. Just want to ask you about, you know, Jamal Khashoggi. You can't do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. And that's that's kind of why... Like that's part of the reason why football clubs are sort of prime for this sort of sports washing thing is that people just get swept up and they they don't really think about the sort of bigger picture. I mean, for me personally, Newcastle was a team that I loved as a as a child. That Alan Shearer was my hero, and it really leaves a bit of a bitter taste. I kind of always wanted them to do well. I don't feel like that anymore, um, and I know Newcastle fans won't like me saying that, but I also think. It, it just feels like you kind of you have to be on a side these days, don't you? I think you can forgive fans um, for continuing to support their team, but also recognizing that their owners, you know, are part of something that's that's really awful in the world. I think it, you know, and and I'd forgive, you know, it's difficult for a fan who's been supporting their club for ever since they were small to kind of. <sighs> change their mind on that. So I do I do sympathise, but I think the fact that they're trying to defend something that's totally indefensible doesn't help. It doesn't help um, in anything. And I think you're absolutely right. It needs to keep being brought up, even if it is awkward. I think, um, and I, I feel for Eddie Howe, because it's a bit like when Antonio Conte, you were discussing this um, on another pod, saying, why do I keep getting asked about everything? And I think he has a point, um, and Eddie Howe basically has to bear the brunt of these questions, but he's got to be asked them because he there's no one else to ask. I think I agree with all of that. And I think I, I sort of agree with you, Robin, as well. I had such, I, I really loved Newcastle as a club, probably because they weren't hugely successful. It's much more fun to, to yeah. you know, have, have faith, you know, like see these kind of heroic failures like under Keegan and that kind of stuff and the football they played then. And, it, you know, it does feel different now, but. You know, obviously, I'm a, I'm a neutral in it. Uh, last night in the FA Cup, Blackburn won at Birmingham. I was watching the highlights of this on YouTube, and I didn't notice for about a, it's only two and a half minute highlight package I could find. That a minute and a half in, it was just, you know, sometimes on YouTube someone just puts a computer game version of oh, yeah. the football match. <laughs> I was like, Why have you? That's really annoying when you've done that. And I actually, I really, really looked. I couldn't find the goal anywhere, and I couldn't find it on the FA Cup YouTube channel. Right, so like that, clearly they didn't they didn't notice this game was happening either. Um, perhaps good news for Austin Trusty, uh, who's not so trusty. Left foot scored an own goal. I mean, I say left foot. I don't know because I haven't seen it. Uh, his own goal was the one that put Blackburn through. West Ham won at Derby 
the day before, Jared Burr, Mikel Antonio with the goals. Apparently they played much better than they have uh, recently. So the draw has been made. And Rob says, well, the odds for Leeds, who are away to Fulham or Sunderland, I know you were at that game, Robin, um, and did that Hugh Grant joke, which we enjoyed. Your critique of it, yeah. No, I'll do. I'll try and do better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't talk for sure. Uh, Rob says the odds for Leeds to be drawn away in the FA Cup on twelve successive occasions are four thousand and ninety-five to one, whereas the odds on Micah Richards becoming the new James Bond are a mere two and a half thousand to one. <laughs> Not a question I know, but. That's amazing, isn't it? I've had no idea that they constantly. I'd watch that. I'm just saying, I would go straight to the cinema. I'd watch it many times. He's in. To be fair, he's in good nick, Micah. Have you seen, I don't know if you've seen his latest Instagram he post. Is. Is he Does he Instagram in the gym? Is that what he's, he, he's like, one does of he them. Do like deadlifts in front of the camera? Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a oh, that's a shame. But you know, to be fair, I mean, if, if it's if it's an audition, if it's a kind of come and get me plea to the producers of yeah, James maybe. Bond, then you know what? It's not bad. Not bad at all. To Roy Keane, but you could Roy Keane BM. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would Keen be or M Q. or would Keen be the baddie? I think Mike, I mean, Suness would be the baddie, I guess, <laughs> wouldn't he? In, in this. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that, Larry? Was that, <laughs> that, that was Roy Keane. <laughs> oh, was right. This? Okay. <laughs> um, I am. Um, Yes, I mean, I think he laughs a bit too much to be Daniel. You know, you know, no, I think a, that's why right. they need to reinvent themselves. Listen, they've had a very serious bond now with Daniel Craig, and it's that's like true. it'd be more of the Roger Moore style. Yeah, yeah, that's but, true. But yeah, absolutely. Less problematic than those films were. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think saying Keen should be a baddie is to kind of miss. I mean, I don't think there's an adversarial relationship between them at all. I think the sort of uh, I think you're right. Keen sort of tutting a bit and being disapproving of uh, yes. of, uh, yeah. of his tomfoolery makes it yeah. perfect for a sort of M. James you're, Bond dynamic. You're right. Yeah. It's very much, I'm taking you off the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of, you know, yeah, you're right. But Southampton play Luton or Grimsby, Leicester play Blackburn or Birmingham, Stoke, Brighton, Wrexham, Sheffield United, or Sheffield United v Spurs, Fulham, Sunderland v Leeds, Bristol City, Manchester City, Manchester United, West Ham, and then the one there'll be one EFL side in for sure because Ipswich or Burnley play Sheffield Wednesday or Fleetwood. But it seems like all that it's opening up for someone not in the Premier League. Lots of Premier League sides could the quarterfinals could look very very different if there are no giant killings. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we will discuss the transfer window. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Gunnar Matt says, can the panel make predictions on the number of transfers in this window that will only be realised by Barry months from now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, start with, um, let's start with Chelsea then. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, it went to the wire. Didn't it, you know, Fabrizio Romano and Jim White getting giddily excited somewhere, I presume. 105 million becomes a new British transfer record, surpassing 100 million paid for Jack Grealish. Lars, at the end of June last year, Benfica signed him for 10 million euros plus 8 million euros in add-ons. Since then, he's played 17 times them and scored one goal. He had an excellent World Cup. I'm not saying he's a bad footballer, but it seems a lot of... It, it seems he's not the player I'd have picked to break the British transfer record. It, it's a slightly odd one, yeah. And, and I, I, I keep thinking about... You know, there was a moment, uh, there was a brief moment in the World Cup. It was just against Mexico, really when you thought Argentina is in trouble here because they'd lost that first game and they weren't playing really well. They weren't playing well at all against Mexico. They were really struggling to create chances. And you're just looking at, they, they could be in trouble in this group. There's, there's a possibility that they go home early. And, and, and if that game doesn't pivot the way it does... Do Chelsea sign Enzo Fernandez for a hundred for a hundred or whatever million in this window? I, pr- I think probably not, which just kind of goes to show how massively irrational the transfer window can be. Sometimes, I think he's a really good player. Um, I, I, the transfer fee confuses me a little bit, but then so do quite a few transfer fees Chelsea have decided to pay uh, since uh, Todd Bowley came in. Uh, you, you get the sense that you have a very inexperienced owner there who's been taken for a ride a few times uh, or, or since he came in, and you, you wonder if the same thing could have happened again. But the point is, I think he's good. But, but, but this goes for so many Chelsea transfers. I mean, we're going to get into it now. There's so many players they've brought in since Bowley came in. We thought, yeah, that's a good player, but they've paid what? And how does he fit in exactly? These are questions I have a little bit about Enzo Fernandez as well. He is a little bit. He reminds me of a bit. We, we've been dragged into the, watching The Apprentice again, and when they when they try and negotiate, and they kind of go from okay, well, um, we'll say that for ten pounds, and the guy goes, I can't do that, and you know, it's it's fifty. They go, okay, forty nine ninety nine. It's like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it feels to me like he's kind of. Pardon this, but you know, like it's kind of a bit of a dick swinging contest with Todd Bowley. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just madness. It's just well, they've, they've spent five hundred and forty million. Uh, the trouble with the Apprentice is, is I think you contractually in a bit in in the same way that you know the the TV directors were contractually obliged to put Gianni Infantino in shot. You are contractually obliged to laugh at whatever Alan Sugar says, even if it's really bad. You know, it's like like come on, the writers have got to do better than that, and he's got to deliver it better than that. This is not you can't just because you want the investment doesn't mean you should titter in the back row of Team you know Galapagos or whatever you've called yourself this this season. <laughs> They've spent five hundred forty million pounds, Barry. Um, since Todd Bowley took over. You know, Fafana cost, I've got them in euros, so I mean, it's about the same, isn't it? 80 million. Mudrick, 70 million. Cucurella, 65. Uh, Raheem Sterling, 50 million. Benoit Badiashil, 38 million euros. Koulibaly, the same. Noni Mudweke, I mean, I've never, has he played? I don't know. 35 million. Yeah. Um, 
in, interesting case. He's very. I mean, he's he's born in Barnet. I think he's played played uh, for PSV in a few years, and kind of always been flagged up as a really promising player. Um, technically very clever, someone who can go past people. But but it's still all potential. You know, he's had some trouble with injuries. Uh, it's not all his fault as such. But like in terms of his goal and assist output. He is not a thirty-five million player out of the out, out of the. I mean, I spoke to a friend of mine who, who you know, follows the Dutch football very closely, and they're kind of like, "We're getting what for him? Like, hang, what? Hang on!" And it's another one of those where, like, again, I would not be surprised at all if he became a very, very good winger. But the the the, the transfer fee is is big. What about Malo Gusto, um, Lars? I I know not a lot about him. Yeah, very game uh, sort of attack-minded fullback, a player who Lyon you know, really, really didn't want to sell. Uh, he's, he's very young. He's shown already he can play at a, at a high level. So again, the, the fee's a little bit on the high side. But again, another place. Listen, I, I, I'm scratching my head a little bit, and you're listing them all and the big numbers. There's so many players in this splurge who I'm sure will be good, and, and I'm sure will be sat here in a few years, and they'll be you know brilliant, sort of well-established Premier League players. So if like I'm not trying to like urinate on anyone's cornflakes this morning, uh, and if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be excited about these in, all these incomings. I would just like to register. Like I am a little bit confused about what the strategy is, and it's also that. If you go on into this window, you look at the Chelsea squad, like, what are the biggest problems? Like, one of the biggest problems is, like, you don't have a proper number nine. You don't really have a striker. They haven't signed that. Like, that's not, of all the things they have signed, that's not one of them. The other big problem is the sort of waning influence of of um, N'Golo Kante, who's not really N'Golo Kante anymore, and he's certainly not fit very often. Have you signed, like, the sort of ball-winning, angry man in midfield? Not really. Like, Fernandes played that role at the World Cup, but he's more of a number eight. He's much, you know, at Benfica, certainly, he's better when he gets forward. So the sort of midfield destroyer, even if he is quite aggressive and wins challenges. So you've not really signed that type of player either. So the two biggest sort of things... You've not really addressed, but you have signed a lot of players, many of whom are good. So I, I don't, and, and then it's kind of up to poor old Graham Potter to make sense of all of this. Like it, it's a very strange situation. I just wanted a, a small point about price tags because wrongly, as a fan, it's almost there's like a sliding scale of the the more this player costs, the less time they have to impress you and bed in. So I don't think it's actually doing them any favors, and it's not their fault. Obviously, these players, there's nothing to do with them. How much? Chelsea willing to pay. But also the more excited you are, like you're just like, wow, he must this he's so shiny. It's it is yeah, it's like Barry a sort of deluxe Nottingham Forest, isn't it? Which is the number of players that they've got to you know, I don't know how like don't they, aren't some of them gonna miss the Champions League squad? They've just got so many Yeah, well, they've signed eight players in the window and they can only register a maximum of three for the Champions League squad, so five of those are gonna miss out. Now there's no question of anyone being cup-tied if you, you know, say Mikhailo Mudrik played so well for Shakhtar Donetsk in the group stages, he can play for Chelsea if they select him for their squad, or one imagines he will be one of the lucky three. It's weird that Chelsea after Abramovich left, were Chelsea fans were warned to expect this new era of austerity. <laughs> <laughs> and they've, they've spent 500 and 50 million since Bowley arrived, 330 million in the cur- the window that's just closed. That's 37% of the entire January spend in the, the Premier League by one club. So you'd have to say they've, on the face of it, they've had a good window. It could turn out to be 
an absolute shambles of a window. Only time will tell. I think I think that's a really good point, Barry, because we always do this thing the day after deadline day. It's like, who has won the transfer market? It's kind of, I understand that there's a demand for those kind of takes, but we don't know. Like, we really don't for a good while yet. Now, again, looking at some of the names and also the sort of the age profile, as the clever transfer people say, like there's quite a lot of guys, under, predominantly guys under 20, 24, under 25, 24 here. So it, it is entirely possible that uh, Todd Bowley and Chelsea have kind of set themselves up really well for the next half decade. With, with good players and of course the way the accounting works we've been through all of that the transfer fees are immortal there's amortization happening uh of course that's separate to the actual payment of the money but in ffp terms they're going to probably find a way to get get around that um i just sort of raise questions of have they bought the types of players they need to improve right now is the thing i'm not a hundred percent certain and if you do miss out on the Champions League, and that's going to be an uphill battle for them, uh, with all this sort of uh, the way the transfers are spread over a long time, you are kind of kicking the can down the road and giving yourself less wiggle room in the future. Much less so even if revenues drop because you've missed the transfer mark, you've missed the Champions League. So it's a strange, strange old situation. Big question, Robin. Have Arsenal won the transfer window? Is what I'd. <laughs> <laughs> like tonight. I mean, Jorginho comes in. Simon says, thoughts on Jorginho. I've seen almost nothing but negativity from Arsenal fans, but it looks shrewd to me. Experienced winner, plays Arteta's way, provides strength and depth. You still have a few years in the tank. Not every signing has to be an exciting young talent, does it? No, I think, again, it's going to be one that we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, they wanted Caicedo, who would have been a longer-term option. Um, Jorginho is a good sort of decade older than him. And yeah, he's he's won everything. And yes, he's technically excellent. So, I mean, on the face of it, it looks like good business. But I was just wondering, that sort of path from Chelsea to Arsenal, it's not great. Um, you know, we had Willian, who is really good for Fulham now, but he had a pretty poor season. Petr Cech, I mean, he was okay, but it was kind of on the wane a little bit. I guess the only the difference is Arsenal was sort of on the wane during those transfers, like David Luiz and all but it does seem like Chelsea kind of let their players go to Arsenal after they've hit their peak. I mean, I suppose fans, Barry, are, yeah, fans are sort of less excited about players they already know, but Trossard and Jorginho are both Premier League ready and it sort of feels exactly what... Ar- and Arsenal have a very specific sort of cause, which is win the league this year. It just seems very sensible to me. I, I think Trossard and Jorginho are very astute signings. Uh, some Arsenal fans I know are hugely underwhelmed, particularly by Jorginho. And Arsenal Twitter went into meltdown yesterday and the hashtag Edu out was was trending. (laughs) Edu obviously being their head of recruitment. Now, Arsenal top of the league by five points. They have a game in hand. That's where the team assembled by Edu and Mikel Arteta. (laughs) And I, I totally appreciate that Arsenal Twitter and, you know, well, I was going to say I totally appreciate that Arsenal Twitter and real-life Arsenal fans are completely different beasts. But having spoken to several Arsenal fans who I know, like and admire yesterday, I'm not so sure they are because they were they were disgusted with the signing of Jorginho. To me, it's a no-brainer. He's going to be an understudy to Granit Xhaka and um, Thomas Partey. Uh, he's a proven winner. He's a very good player. I, I just don't see why you would be anything other than quite satisfied that they've brought him in. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly um, I'm slightly worried about the extra commute for him because, you know, you don't need to move house, right? But if you're in Cobham, which is where all the Chelsea players are, and now you've suddenly got to drive to London Colney, the M25 is 
It's unpredictable. You'd have to leave pretty early to be sure of getting to training. Will he be a bit more ratty? Will he just be a bit more, you know, just a bit of pent up frustration from all that driving? Something to look out for. Anyway, yes, Lars. The, the thing I'd like to ask the disgruntled Arsenal fans who are expecting all this money to be spent on all these big players is, which of your current team are you kicking out? Like, because they have a pretty settled eleven who have just put up 50 points in half a season. So you're on track for uh, one of the sort of all-time top Premier League uh, points returns. Which of your 11 are you kicking out? If you're signing Caicedo, that means you're putting uh, Party or Xhaka on the bench for most of the rest of the season because you're not spending 70 million on a new midfielder to stick him on the bench. So which of those two magnificently performing parts of this puzzle are you banning? <laughs> Who are you sending away? If you bring Mudrik, right? Okay, so no more Martinelli then, right? Has he deserved being kicked out of the team? I don't think so. Like the situation for Arsenal right now is that their team is working so well. Uh, they are going to need depth because not everyone can play every single game in a season. But, but that's not something you spend like that massive money on bringing someone who's going to expect and demand to start for. You, that's going to unsettle the thing. I think it makes perfect sense to bring in two guys in Trossada and Jorginho who knows the knows the Premier League and, and who knows what, what what's required and are presumably guys who will come in and not kick off if they spend on a, a good bit of the next six months on the bench. Uh, Hakim Ziyech uh, almost went to PSG there were reports that he was in the PSG offices, but the, the transfer didn't go through for some reason or another. Well, uh, apparently someone at Chelsea filed <laughs> the wrong paperwork on three separate oh, occasions. No. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that this may, one may run and run because I think they're, they're going to appeal for leniency from UEFA because it would have gone through but for somebody's bungling. <laughs> Is it like the Simpsons? Is it like The Simpsons where I think um, Lisa Simpson sort of won a competition and, you know, but it was sponsored. She was like the prom queen or something, but it was sponsored by cigarettes and she was campaigning against cigarettes, but she was disqualified because on the application form under the bit written, do not write under this bit, Homer Simpson wrote, okay. <laughs> I just wonder, does it mean they've accidentally sent Christian Pulisic to PSG on loan? Or maybe there are a couple of squad players in Chelsea who just unbeknownst them are now actually playing for PSG because they kept sending their documents. It's every chance. Uh, Neil says, has Max asked Todd Bowley if he can buy him a new Subaru? Thank you, Neil. Uh, Jack Cancelo said, uh, Jack Cancelo doesn't say anything. He didn't tweet us. Um, he has gone to Bayern Munich, though, on loan till the end of the season uh, with view to a permanent deal worth up to 61 and a half million pounds all seemed to happen very quickly this Robin it seems a surprise I, I, it doesn't feel very long ago that I was saying Cancelo is the best player in the league or at least asking that question I don't know what's happened yeah and I think that's been the general um, sort of Man City fans a bit baffled by this one although it seems that he's fallen out with Pep Guardiola over his playing time and the the biggest uh, diss of all, he's blocked anyone affiliated with Manchester City on his Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? Good Lord. So it's a pretty, it's a clean break. Yeah, this is a this is a tough breakup. I guess you just don't you don't cross Pep. Um, and uh, no. I mean, th- I, I imagine they'll be okay without him. But I agree, he's he's a very very good player. So you know, it's it's an interesting one. Hmm. Um, he did post once a citizen, always a citizen. Thank you. And then what? Block, 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 block. Um, I don't know. I'm really surprised by it, Barry, because I, you know, City aren't playing brilliantly, and he's a really excellent player. I, I think you have to conclude there's been some sort of irreparable 
irreconcilable differences, isn't that what they say? Divorce papers. Uh, because th there's no other plausible explanation. Um, whether it's a row over playing time or a row over something else, I don't know. But he he got the bums rush anyway. Well, that's been the suggestion in, in various outlets, one of them being The Athletic, that basically he was really cross about being left out of the team a couple of times and his body language was really negative and, and Guardiola got worried that he was spreading bad vibes uh, and, and so he decided to, to, to get him out of there. It, it, it is a risk. It's not a position where they have a they have a ton of, uh, of options, but of course the sort of Nathan Ake playing well, the emergence of Rico Lewis, who looks just extraordinarily good uh, means they have some players they could they can use but yeah risky risky move uh, spurs and the right wing backs that's uh, not a not a it's not a band <laughs> um let's talk about pedro porro first he's joined from sporting loan with an obligation to buy in the summer expected to be around 45 million pounds it seems a long time ago since they had carl walker and kieran trippier it's been a difficult position for them lars is is he the answer pedro porro uh, he's looked very good for Sporting whenever I've seen him, and and looking at his sort of numbers, they look very promising as well. He's he's more he's very attack minded, uh, which I think suits because one of the big problems Tottenham can have sometimes is since they don't have a lot of creativity in central midfield because Conte told them all to go away, the creative guys. That it's really important that you get something down the wings, uh, go past people, put crosses in. And that's something Poro likes to do. He likes to get forward, puts a lot of crosses into the box. Uh, there's always the caveats about transitioning to the Premier League and getting used to football uh, at this level in this league. Uh, I don't have like a magic ball in terms of knowing who will do that and who won't. Uh, but from what I've seen from him when he's played for Sporting, he looks like the right type of player, certainly, for what Tottenham need. Uh, Jed Spencer's gone on loan to Wren, uh, so he was going to get playing time because all their right-backs are injured. He wants to do well at Spurs. Matt Doherty was quite interesting, Robin, wasn't it? Going to Atleti. And it was going to be on loan. I think Spurs, Spurs I think, realised that they'd had too many players. You're only allowed eight players out on loan. And they just had forgotten that or something. So they terminated his contract, which is, I mean, it seems sort, sort of feels ruthless, but also kind at the same time. I guess so, yeah. No, that that is an interesting one because I remember I did the the Spurs game when they came back after the World Cup break against Brentford, and he Antonio Conte had played him in these sort of mid-season friendlies, and he'd scored a lot. And yeah, it I don't know what's going on there because I think also Nottingham Forest fans are very upset with the way Jed Spence has been sort of cast aside because he was excellent in the Championship last season. So, but it sounds like this is the player that Antonio. Conte really wanted although is Conte going to be there for much longer it's you know he hasn't got a contract until uh, further than the end of the season so um yeah it's a tri tri tricky one tricky one Conte said uh, Doherty played every game last season now I'm not seeing him in the right way to start the game I'm not stupid I don't want to lose so you know <laughs> good luck but, but you know, Atleti it's an interesting well, a vote of confidence that is. <laughs> yeah isn't it it'd be fascinating to see how he does at Atleti yes Baz wait a minute I'm just, you described the cancellation of his, or termination of his contract as ruthless, but kind. I mean, it's kind insofar as presumably Doherty gets the rest of his contract paid up and gets several million quid and maybe a signing on fee with Atleti. So he, I would say it's very kind. But I just wonder what would have happened if Doherty had signed his deal or if that had gone through before Jed Spence deal at Wren. Would they have cancelled Jed Spence's yeah. contract? It's a good question. Or would they have 
just kept him there rotting on the bench as they have all season. I mean, I mean, no, because he's young, and even if Conte doesn't like him, maybe the next guy does. But whereas, I mean, with with the uh, Dory is is thirty one, right? So there's realistically you're not going to get a lot for him. So cancelling the contract, yeah, maybe you could have gotten someone to pay some million for, for him in the summer, but it's not. I guess the way you look at it is like an extra expense to bringing Poro in, right? My, I think my favourite bit of Spurs business over this window is uh, Brian Hill going <laughs> on loan to Seville. Yeah. <laughs> From whom yeah. they bought Brian Hill. Seville have done very well out of this. They've got 22 million quid. They got Eric Lamella. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Eric Lamella. And now they've got Brian Hill back again. <laughs> it's just not... I don't think anything sums up the absolute lunacy of, of the transfer window than that Brian Hill on loan to Seville move. Quite a nice player. Uh, Man United have Marcel Sabitzer. You've touched on this, Lars. Um, Ericsson's injury at the hands of Andy Carroll at worse than first feared after a few months, potentially, which is a great shame, isn't it? Um, Sabitzer has been uh, flown in on loan from Bayern. Is this a... This a good idea, Lars? Yeah, but he's he's different, Ericsson. Very different type of player. But I like him a lot. He's very energetic. Can play in a number of positions. Covers a lot of ground. Uh, good sort of overall package of, of abilities. It was very highly rated when he played for for RB Leipzig, and then he moved to he he went with Julian Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich, where he hasn't really been able to establish himself in the first team. But you know what? That's really hard at Bayern Munich if you're if you're primarily a central midfielder, and they've got Kimmich and Goretzka there, who are not just very complementary; they're also really good mates. Like trying to dislodge one of them is very tricky. Uh, last season, when Goretzka wasn't available, he, he struggled a little bit. This season, when he's played, he's actually looked kind of good. Um, he's not as silky a passer as Ericsson is, but he brings them a lot of sort of running power. Plus, he's, you know, better than the other players who can bring them, you know. He, he, Fred also runs around a lot, you know, but I'd say Savitzer is a little bit better. Uh, I, I like this transfer for them, and I like the fact that they've they've looked at the Ericsson injury and thought, actually, we do need to do something here. And they've brought in someone who's of a very high standard, so... Yeah, I like it. I'm looking forward to a Nottingham Forest fan who's not paying a lot of attention this week and Kaylon Navas is in goal for them <laughs> at the weekend. That's, that's sort of the most batshit odd one for, for me. I mean, Felipe and John Joe Shelby into Forest as well. Uh, Peter says, Leicester seem to have had a quietly excellent window. Christensen and Harry Souter are look like solid additions for the project. Hashtag Brendan Im. Am I right, Barry? All I know about Harry Souter is what I saw from him playing for Australia in the World Cup. He's he's obviously Scottish. I think he used to be at Hearts. And he went into the World Cup having played, I think, only one game since recovering from a cruciate injury. And he was absolutely immense. Uh, if he can carry that form, uh, he's been brilliant for Stoke this season, I understand. I don't watch Stoke at all, so I I, I don't know whether that's true or not. But if he can carry his World Cup form into to Leicester, he, I would imagine he'd be a brilliant signing. Um, Oliver says, how much do you wish Bielsa had accepted the Everton job just to have seen him resign at 11pm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Marty says, is IU's proposed transfer the most Everton transfer they could make? Um, uh, they they missed out on Paul Onuachu, went to Southampton, didn't he? He's a big lad. Andre Ayu, they linked with, and Michy Batshuayi. They got no one. The players they've missed out on, it's it's astonishing, the list. So there's Kevin Shad, Jorginho Rutter, Danny Ings, Arnold Anjuma, Beto Bacincal, Ishmael Sar, 
that Sulem now a fellow that went to Southampton. Uh as you said, Torgan Hazard, Connor Gallagher, Jean Philippe Mateta. That's quite a list of targets to not get. And it just seems like players won't touch Everton with a forty foot pole, and that, that speaks volumes about you know, what the talk among players must be of what's going on at Everton, if so many of them. And then scratching around from Andre Ayew, like, crikey, that's, and not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what must Neil Mopé be thinking? Unwatchu, <laughs> I am a little bit sad. I mean, interesting signing for Southampton. Uh, he's, you say he's a big lad. I mean, he's six foot seven. He's, he's the biggest of lads. So I, I just, I feel it's a little bit sad that the Onuachu Sean Dyche uh, tie a team up never happened. I feel like in terms of getting it launched, him and Calvert-Lewin up front there, you could launch anything at them. It, it, it'd be tremendous, but that hasn't happened. Maybe they've read all these articles about what a disciplinarian Sean Dyche is, because I've been kind of fascinated by this, the sort of... Uh, he had a thing at at uh, at Burnley, like a wheel of, of fines for like minor disciplinary infractions, and it could be stuff like like cash fines, the having to pay for dinner for the squad. Was something really weird about having to do a lap dance for someone in the team? That would be strange. But also, one of the things with that you 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 could you risked spinning the wheel of fines and and ending up having to go sit in the river next to the training ground. Which is one of those things. I, I'm, I'm sure some of the lads up at Burnley, like your your Ben Mees and your James Tarkovskys and your Chris Woodses, were per- perfectly fine to go sit in the river. But I don't think all. I think there's quite a lot of professional footballers who, like, if you've forgotten to tidy up in the canteen, then you have to spin a wheel, and then in January in in Bur- in Lancashire have to have to go and sit in the river. They would be on the phone to the agent pretty fast after that and say, "What on earth is happening?" Is the Mersey like? Do people swim in the Mersey? I mean, I know they get the ferry, obviously, but I, it does. Yeah. See, but also, uh, Sean Dyche's war on headwear is a thing. Like he. The, the ban on hats He's, he doesn't like people Tom Davis and Calvert-Lewin I'm really interested in how this is going to work but also has anyone seen a Sean Dyche wear a hat because after reading this I started googling like Sean Dyche and hat at some point he must have worn a hat all the sort of google image returns there's just him shaking hands <laughs> with other managers who are wearing a hat he himself seems to have a real problem with headwear uh, I'm hoping someone who on the Merseyside beat will ask him this in a press conference what is your problem with hats because I know, like, I should probably end up. I've been talking for quite a long time. Uh, but <laughs> Sean Dyche and the war on hats. That's good. Someone needs to get to the bottom of this. What, should, what, hat, what, what hat would be best for Sean? Oh, it's a, a do you think a top, no, it's a Piggy Blinders hat, isn't it? It's one of those, one of those uh, white pieces. In case Barry forgot that Iose Perez played for Leicester, it's all fine now. He's moved to Betis. So there we are. Uh, that's one for your notes. He's writing it down. That's excellent. No, I, I was just going to ask Max if... Um, if that's the conclusion of our transfer chat, can you tell me now, with conviction, where Jan Bednarek is? <laughs> oh, hang on. I did see. I saw he'd gone somewhere. Oh, no. He stayed where he is because uh, I think his kids are at school or something like that, or his wife's about to give birth. Maybe that's Yannick Vestergaard. I mean, obviously, I don't know. So he stayed. <laughs> he's staying where he is. The no, he is not entirely... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been recalled from Aston Villa by Southampton. And that ah. happened several days ago. So no, it might be Yannick no. Vestergaard who's uh, putting his children's education first. Do you know where Josh King is? He's in Fenerbahce. 
Oh, it was a quiz for Barry. But, sorry, you know, sorry, 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 uh, sorry, sorry. No, I, sorry, I did not a, know that. <laughs> you get a point, listen, Lars. You get if, a point listen, Barry, in a Barry, game you weren't even you playing. You should know this by now. If it's sort of a decent Premier League striker who scored a goal, scored some goals a few years ago, who you haven't heard about for a while, they're always in Turkey. Always, Barry. <laughs> yeah. and no exceptions to this. They always. Yeah, go but to there's Turkey. a lot. There's a lot of Turkish teams to choose from, like because and Talyspor are in the mix now, aren't they? But bef- before we before we leave transfers, there are two things I feel like we should mention just very quick i'll try, I'll try to actually be quick this time uh, bournemouth signing players and uh, Ilya sabarni hung uh, uh, ukrainian center half he's 20 years old he's one of these highly rated who who I, I know bigger clubs have been looking at and like for a while rocked up at bournemouth uh that, that's an interesting one for them and and i'd like to mention southampton bringing in uh, the giant uh, paul onuachu who is again He's six foot seven, guys. He's a big old unit from Genk. And also uh, Kamaldin uh, Suleimana, who Barry briefly mentioned. Such an exciting winger. Used to play in Denmark for Norshellan through their uh, Right to Dream Academy team up. They, they have this deal with the uh, Academy in Ghana. So, so you have a lot of really promising Ghanaian players who, who come up there. Uh, uh, Kamaldin, super exciting, fun winger. Dribbles a lot. A very dribbly guy. Very fast. Uh, if he can hit the ground running and sort of... Uh, acclimatized to the Premier League, he should be a lot of fun for Southampton fans. So he was a club record fee for Southampton, 22 million. That's a, their club record. So, just, I mean, just to put it in context of... Sounds like a lot when I think Cambridge know. is 260,000 for Steve Claridge in 992. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll do for part two. Fair part point. three, uh, we'll do some women's football. Any other business? Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, in the WSL, Robin, Man United rejected a world record bid uh, from Arsenal for England striker Alicia Russo. A bid was understood to be more than £400,000 that Barcelona paid for Kira Walsh in September. Are you surprised at the amount? Are you surprised it was rejected? Uh, not surprised by either. Uh, transfer fees have been going up. Um, Beth England went to um, from Chelsea to Spurs um, for a record WSL fee. And not surprised that Manchester United rejected it. If they hadn't, it would have looked awful. It would have looked so bad for them. They're top of the league. They're in the uh, title race. If they'd sold her to to Arsenal politically, who have injury problems, right? You know, like Mead and Mead out for a long, long time. Um, So it's not been a great window for them. They've they've recruited a couple of midfielders, but they really wanted another striker to fill that gap. Um, But yeah, if Manchester United sold Russo to them, it just would have really would have told a story about you know how they. 
how they view their women's team. They've taken a financial hit by not selling her because she's refused to sign a new contract and it's up in the summer. So she probably will go for free in the summer. But in terms of the sort of optics, mm. they had to keep her. So that's good. I mean, that is a, a good thing, isn't it, that, that, that they've done that. Elsewhere, uh, the Women's World Cup Visit Saudi, which is the Gulf Nations Tourist Board, is set to be unveiled as a sponsor of the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. This month, Saudi Arabia's women's national team hosted and won a 14-friendly event in a bid to secure a FIFA women's ranking for the first time. A spokesperson for Football Australia said they were seeking clarification from FIFA. We're disappointed that Football Australia were not consulted on this matter prior to any decision being made. Um, Football Australia and New Zealand Football have jointly written to FIFA to urgently clarify the situation. Uh, Nikita White and Amnesty Australia campaigner criticised Saudi authorities' human rights record. It would be quite the irony for Saudi's tourism body to sponsor the largest celebration of women's sport in the world when you consider that as a woman in Saudi Arabia, you can't even have a job without the permission of your male guardian. Uh, the Saudi authorities have a horrendous record of human rights abuses, including cracking down on women's rights defenders. Those of you will remember the pod we did with Lina Al-Hathalul about her sister a few years ago um, uh, will echo that. The campaign of so-called reform leader Mohammed bin Salman has been on is nothing more than a publicity stunt to try and diversify the economy. The Saudi authorities sponsoring the Women's World Cup would be a textbook case of sports washing. Um, uh, Robin, you'll probably be working on this tournament. I wonder how you feel about the Women's World Cup being sponsored by Visit Saudi. You obviously touched on Saudi in part one as well. Yeah, I mean, not great. As, as you know, the tragic irony is not lost um, in terms of sponsoring a women's tournament. I think, you know, obviously you do give them you know, a bit of credit for, you know, eventually they you know have got a women's team now. And as you mentioned, they, they held a tournament and won it. But, you know, in terms of life for women, you know, they have to ask permission, as you said, to their husbands for to do most things. So it's, yeah. And it not, not, not at all surprising that it's come from FIFA. Mm. Um, uh, a number of legal changes have improved women's rights in Saudi Arabia in recent years. The end of the driving ban, amendments to oppressive guardianship law that would allow for the first time women to apply for official documents such as passports and to travel abroad independently. God, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, uh, the guardianship law has not been abolished, however. Women still need the consent of a man to get married, obtain certain forms of health care. Male guardians can also bring legal action against women for disobedience and being absent from home. Uh, the Guardian have contacted FIFA for comment. And from a BBC report yesterday, executions of prisoners have been carried out in Saudi Arabia with no advance warning to their families, relatives have told the BBC. The execution rate has almost doubled since 2015, according to a new human rights report, the year when King Salman uh, and his son, Mohammed bin Salman, took charge. Changing tack quite a lot, uh, Kev says, following your comment about Kara Matoma's dummy, even fooling the cameraman, are cameramen actually the greatest defensive minds on earth? When a drop shoulder falls Tiago Silva, we're totally nonplussed. <laughs> but if it falls Steve on camera six, we lose our minds. It's a very good point you make. Uh, Simon says, currently watching Weymouth play in the Conference South. And the home crowd are singing Dirty Northern Bastards to Hampton and Richmond. <laughs> can, <laughs> can we class them as Northern? Um, I, I think it's all entirely geographical. From, from Weymouth, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, you can. Eric says, when was the last time you thought of Andreas Schürrle? Well, I, I sent these pictures round. I don't know if any of you saw them. He's now climbing up mountains with his shirt off, Barry. Climbing up very cold, frozen mountains by the looks of things with a rucksack on but no shirt. Um, he looks like uh, is it Captain Oates. Was he topless, Captain Oates? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Was ta Captain Oates topless? Seems to be naive at that time to 
Trying to get this is the first person to get to the South Pole topless was Captain Oates. <laughs> I've I've no idea. He was delirious, so he may well have stripped off before <laughs> leaving the tent. Now he'd just be a Newcastle fan, wouldn't he? In the Gallagate, you know, shirt off. <laughs> uh, M says, ever think um, uh, your car, Max, could end up the plot of some M Night Shalaman movie in the future? With, of course, uh, being that there was in fact no Subaru. And the Subaru in reality represents an ongoing existential crisis in Max's life. It's possible, you know, it has overwhelmed me at times in the last few days. I can't imagine you ever having an existential crisis. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'm too simple for it, you know. You know, you know what you like. You're happy with your lot. Yeah, I'll just have some peanut butter and it'll be all right, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> there's no depth to me. So, like, it can't, like, I can't, there can't be a crisis. Oh. I'll have that on my wall. You know, live, laugh, love. Yeah. Just have some peanut butter yeah. and everything will be all right. Yeah. I'd like that on my yeah, wall. totally. Max Rushton. Uh, Christopher says, uh, I'm Max Barry and Co. I wonder if you could give a mention to regular listener, occasional contributor and Dublin show attendee Aidan Kiran on the birth of his first child and future Republic of Ireland international John Dylan Kiran. Uh, Barry, would you like to wish uh, Aidan, Mrs. Aidan, and John, all the best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, big adventure for them. And I hope John Dillon uh, does go on to represent the Republic of Ireland with distinction. And I hope there are no English ties there. That If he turns out to be really good, you <laughs> bastards end up nicking him. Also, big congrats to panellists of the pod um, and Women's Football Weekly as well, Anita Asante and Beth Fisher, who are expecting... Babe, that's a nice, happy family we all are, aren't we? Uh, anyway, that'll do for today. Um, uh, thank you, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sarnas, and we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 